deep fake pornography. You know how, you know, unless you don't, that you shouldn't let anyone take intimate pics of you because you might end up on the internet. Well, thanks to AI, it doesn't matter because you still can. Deep fakes are manipulated images in which a person in an existing image or video is replaced with someone else's likeness. Deep fake pornography. It's becoming increasingly common and it's almost exclusively targeting women. A short documentary called My Blonde GF tells the experience of Helen, Helen Mort. Her face has been digitally edited onto bodies of women in sexually explicit and often violent situations. Here's a bit of it. We've got a body, a woman's body. She's sitting on the edge of the bed. It looks like a hotel room or something. She's got a pierced belly button. She's got her breasts out. She's lifting up her top to show them. She's got a kind of blonde wig. And this woman has my face. And that was Helen Moore, a British poet and novelist, lecturer, academic. The title, My Blonde GF, is from a poet that she wrote. Uh, Rosie Morris is the maker of the documentary. I asked her why she made it. I made a film about uh, teenage girls and how they were interacting with social media and the selfie a few years ago and they got me really interested in this idea of uh, living with an audience and uh, what happens to images once you share them. I felt like there was a lot of focus on who you want to see the images and not that much focus on who you don't want to because that is an unknown thing. Um, So I started thinking about my age group Um, So I was 19 when Facebook arrived and like these internet cultures that we participate in around image culture and image sharing and what we, what we were kind of like unwittingly participating in by doing that. Um, And then during the lockdown, I read there'd been a huge surge in deep fakes and revenge porn. And I thought, what a dark, symptom of isolation that is really so I went looking for a story I was looking for stories around revenge porn and then I found Helen's story which I thought was really interesting because the images weren't images that she'd ever shared they were images that had been created from images uh, that she'd shared without realizing that they could go they would ever end up somewhere like a porn site Right, and they were perfectly normal images. They were like, you know, Helen on holiday. Helen on holiday, Helen at a graduation, Helen at a party at university. Um, Helen's a writer, um, and some of them were, you know, a photograph that she had been asked to submit for some kind of event. So, you know, a headshot or something like that. Is this revenge porn, Rosie? In other words, was the motivation behind doing this with Helen's image revenge? 
That I don't know. Like that's really difficult to answer because what I've done with the film is try to steer clear of paying too much attention to the motivations behind the person that did it. I understand. And yeah, and like I guess the reason that I did that, I mean certainly what I can say is there's a theme in porn at the moment which is around humili- humiliation and control and like maybe this has always been a theme but now it's colliding with how you can humiliate somebody who doesn't even know that they're participating in the act if that makes sense so um what we're looking at is like what so okay so that that sounds like it's got some kind of revenge in it Mm. but whether or not that's like revenge against Helen personally or it's it's actually to do with a wider problem of how women are treated yes exactly I mean I was thinking you know there's you don't have to be specifically vengeful against Helen you could be vengeful against women in general you know we can we can (laughs) we can try and get rid of misogyny in the wider society but it'll squish out somewhere else and it's squishing out on the internet if you like to see it that way that's what i really feel like okay here we go it's it's emerging really deeply from somewhere else um exactly like you said you can try and squish it out but it will show up Mm. and i think that Helen's a writer with a feminist slant in her writing and she has wondered if that has contributed to why somebody might want to do this, which makes it feel even worse, you know. Um, so I don't know if it, if it's, it's, yeah, I don't know if we could call it revenge porn, but it feels like it's in that area, doesn't it? Yeah. As she says... And what and what your documentary reveals, the true damage of this. She says they did nothing to her, but she cannot unsee those images. And it's the way image becomes memory. You know how you don't know whether you can remember something that happened to you as a child or you just saw the photograph? It becomes mm. realer than real. Mm. I mean, that's exactly it. And actually, that's my bigger, that's like my bigger interest in what I'm, that's what I'm trying to kind of probe at here because I don't really have the answers. But with the film, I'm trying to ask the questions about this culture that we have where the the meaning of an image has kind of changed. And I think you can't separate memory from image. So here you've got somebody who's got a series of images of herself that have memories, significant memories attached to them. And then somebody takes those images and puts them into another context. And the new context she has absolutely no control of. But also what we're talking about is like violent, sexually explicit scenes where she is being humiliated and what she's seeing is an image of herself that's attached to this memory so she can no longer look at the image without seeing it in this new context 
the the original memory has been completely kind of bulldozed by how she's now seen those images. Mm. She went to the police and there was nothing they could do because of, and this remains a situation in New Zealand, I believe, because of a loophole which excludes images that were not originally um, intimate or sexual. Mm. Yeah, so had somebody been harassing her with these images, for example, Mm. the police could have said, okay, you're being harassed, so we can put it under that umbrella. But the fact is, it's kind of sheer coincidence um, that she found out about it. And they basically said they're not real images. So, you know, in effect, nothing's actually happened. Um, So she then was left to kind of live with that, which I think was a big burden. It, 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 It kind of made the whole experience a lot worse that she felt she had absolutely no control or, or over what had happened. Um, so she, the reason she's spoken about what happened to her is because she wants to raise awareness um, and she's contributed to a campaign which is in effect changing the law. Like the online um, safety bill in the UK is changing at the moment. And the way that it's changing is that they're now incorporating deepfakes so the creation of deepfakes will still be illegal but the distribution of deepfakes without consent will become illegal i wonder how that will be policed exactly so for me i you know we're not under and the academics and lawyers that we've spoken to through this process we're not expecting that this legal change will stop people doing this but it's really important for those that it happens to, to know that um, there's something they can do or that the, the, the legal system is trying in some way to protect them. Um, and hopefully it would lead to something else, which is around being able to get the pictures removed and and websites and Google and porn sites having responsibility to actually remove the images, which they currently don't. The other effect on Helen, of course, is the suspicion. I mean, who did this to her? She, Mm. She may have an idea. She may not have an idea. We don't know. But you would lose your trust in a lot of people if this happened mm. to you. Yeah, and you you know, like what I think is really remarkable about Helen and one of the things that I admire so much about how she has handled this really difficult thing is that it's almost like her boundary is I am not going to stop trusting people and I'm not going to go mad um, trying to figure out who did it. Because what she's realised, you know, looking at where where the images were in the first place, the kind of traceability of the images, she's realising it could be anyone. It could be anyone and and it could have happened to anyone. 
And that's what we really wanted to talk about through the film. And for me as a filmmaker, I really want, you know, I'm really conscious of like, what kind of story am I putting out into the world? Do I want to get into the headspace of the person that did this? I don't. I want to think about who had the impact on Helen and any, what I realised with this film and because it's a short film and the way that we've decided to approach it, I realised that the more we kept you in her experience and um, communicate that paranoia without going too deeply into who might have done it, it would, it would help you to really understand that impact, which it sounds like it did because that's what you're, yeah, you've picked up on that aspect of it. She wrote a poem, Helen, um, using the phrase My Blonde GF, which is the title of your documentary. She wrote, the, she wrote that before the documentary. Is that where you got the title from or after? Yeah, so the title comes from Helen's poem and those words that she uses in the poem come from some text that um, was next to one of her images in the porn site, which we, we look at in the film. So some of the, you know, these aren't high-tech AI, complex, deep fake videos. They're images and they could have been made on Photoshop. And sometimes the offence is actually that the, there's some text next to an image of her that hasn't even been altered. And the text is the really offensive part. So in a sense, Helen was given this title on the porn site my blonde GF, my blonde girlfriend. And we kind of wanted her to claim it in a way as hers, like through the poem, that's what she's doing. And through the film, that's what she's doing. And one of the things that I'm really pleased about, because the film's been watched quite a lot now since it launched on The Guardian a week ago, um, we've had like 150,000 views. And... What's been really brilliant is that one of the reasons I wanted to call it that is because it's actually a porn search term. And when we used to search it, you would get porn pornographic websites. And now when you search My Blonde GF, you get our film. Ah, excellent. <laughs> That'll yeah. mess with there. Although, will it? Do you know, I mean, the other thing I think is... I know. I'm terribly... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm really glad that you've made this and I'm, you know, I think... Helen Mort is uh, an extraordinary woman to mm. come out and say it like it is. But there are, you know, creeps out there who are just going to be encouraged to do what was done to Helen. That's a yeah, it's really, really difficult, really tough for us as filmmakers to make sure that Helen um, is supported through this process. Um and we've had people, you know, we've got our filmmaking team, you know, our endeavour was to support Helen and make it in a way that Helen's collaborated on and is comfortable with and feels ethically appropriate to the subject matter. But it, it's not without its um, difficulties. And people often don't speak about these things happening because they know people will, A, try and find the images and B there'll be backlash and Helen has had to weigh up, you know, weigh up the, the, the kind of her mission and what she wants. She doesn't, she feels because she, 
because she's a writer, she has a platform. She uses words to try and understand things. I think for her, the speaking out was the processing and it's not for everyone. You know, it wouldn't be for everyone to do that. So I'm really grateful to Helen that she has has done that. You know, that's that's the choice that she's made um, because it's it's helpful for all of us to understand, isn't it? Are you going to carry on with this work? I mean, what what's your next project going to be? Well, there's a few things that I'm kind of developing and thinking about at the moment. Um, I am interested in how online, how female identity in particular is affected by this online life, like this this image culture that we live in. Um, So my plan is to 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 develop something into a feature length project around this. But I'm also interested in other stories that are of the same, a similar nature of women being put in a position of being rendered powerless in some way. So the other thing that happened in the UK after people came out of the lockdown, COVID-19 lockdown, was that there was a huge uh, surge in pe- people having their drinks spiked or and people being injected um, with things that, you know, would lead to assault, basically, because they, they'd been spiked. And for me, that's a similar kind of that's coming from the same place of this this desire to render somebody powerless mm. which, yeah so i'm i'm in that's the area that i'm in yeah this will do your head in rosie won't it yeah 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 i mean it's tricky isn't it you have to be really you have to be really careful with how you what the stories that you take on and what your what you feel up to you know what you feel up to <laughs> but i do think the the kind of culture that we live in um needs to be probed you know we need to we need to ask questions and i do really believe in film being a good way to do that I don't know whether you've come upon Naomi Klein's latest book, Doppelganger. Um, Somebody told uh, me about it. Yeah, you, no, yeah. Well, I was just thinking about it when earlier you were talking about the use of images and it goes to identity, it goes to a sense of self. It's a very interesting book. Um, and of course, Helen experienced having a doppelganger herself because there was this person who looked exactly like her doing something that she had never and would never do. Um, I'm I'm talking to Naomi Klein next week, and so mm. this is why I mentioned it. I recommend the book. I think you'll find it interesting. I'd love to read it. Somebody was talk mentioned it the other day. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. It's it's um you could kind of go on with this kind of subject forever couldn't you yeah you could you find ways to keep going with it yeah um and and I think that like I really do feel quite strongly about 
I'm not keen on things that very much focus the perpetrator. Um, and I think sometimes there's like a place for that. But I did like a workshop in a school recently and I was asking the children, like, do you watch documentaries? Yeah, we watch documentaries. Which kind of documentaries do you watch? And this 10-year-old girl put up her hand and said, I like the ones with all the serial killers. Oh, God. <laughs> And I was like, oh, no. It's so appealing, isn't it? I was hoping you were going to say, I was hoping you were going to say David Attenborough, but no. (laughs) I know, I know. I know, the one with all the elephants, that would have been good. But, but yeah, you know, I just, yeah, I think it's, it's really good to stay. For me, it's like I wanted to walk alongside Helen in the story and I didn't. I didn't want to, I want to put you in her experience rather than try and think, yeah, too deeply about the motivations behind the person that did it. And that was Rosie Morris, who made the brief documentary, My Blonde GF, and there is a link to it on our web page. Um, it's made with the help of The Guardian. But we've given you the YouTube link.